Uh, we began a new series last week entitled Future or Fairy Tale, uh, What the Bible Teaches About the Afterlife. And last week, I began with a quote from the physicist Dr. Stephen Hawking, who had just passed away, because his quote that was uh, widely publicized at his death kind of inspired the title of this series. So here it is again, uh, to remind you, or if you didn't hear it last week, here it is. He said, I regard the brain, speaking of the human brain, I regard the brain as a computer which will stop working when its components fail. There is no heaven or afterlife for broken down computers. That's us, people. There's no heaven or afterlife for broken down computers. That is a fairy story for people afraid of the dark. In other words, in case you're not catching his drift here, uh, everything the Bible teaches about the afterlife, everything Christians believe about heaven, those beliefs, according to Hawking and those who agree with them, well, they're just wishful thinking. Just wishful thinking, nothing more. They aren't true. And Hawking and other respected scientists, they know they're not true. But foolish, stubborn people like me keep believing in those beliefs in spite of all that they do to uh, show me the evidence that I'm wrong. Uh, and, and the reason I just keep believing in those things, apparently, is because those beliefs give me comfort when I think about scary things like death. Well, it is certainly true that what the Bible teaches about the future, about the afterlife, about heaven, that does comfort me when death rears its ugly head. I happen to think that's a good thing. Um, but that is not, that is not the only reason I believe it. In fact, it's not even the main reason. So with all due respect to Dr. Hawking, he was mistaken about my motives. However, was he right about his claim that there's no heaven, that there's no afterlife? Was he right about that? After all, he was an intelligent man. He was a very, very smart guy. And there are a lot of really intelligent people who agree with him on this. He was a very well-respected scientist, and science is a very impressive thing. I mean, it's, it's amazing. You just think about all the advancements that scientists have made that benefit our lives on a daily basis. All the, just the medical breakthroughs are incredible. Um, I have this app on my iPad that I think is pretty cool, and I can use this thing. Um, I can go outside at night, and I can point my iPad up at the sky if it's not raining. Um, <laughs> that tells you how often I get to do this. Um, and it will, it will tell me the name of every star and planet that I'm, I'm looking at. And it will even tell me where the satellites are that are going overhead. In fact, the other, uh, other night, 
uh, it, it notified me. It makes this kind of weird noise, but it said, uh, let me know that the International Space Station was overhead. So I went out, and sure enough, I looked up, and there was this bright dot streaking across the sky. And I looked up at that, and I said, wow, there are people in that dot. There's a whole crew up there, about 250 miles up, going at 17,000 miles an hour. Somehow my iPad knows where it is. That is amazing to me. Science is an amazing thing. And because it is so amazing, our world holds scientists in very high regard, and rightly so, most of the time. So when you have a well-respected scientist like Stephen Hawking speak out on an issue, well, people are inclined to take what he says very seriously. I mean, the guy was smart. He obviously knew things I don't know. So if he, with all his smarts, with all of his scientific knowledge, if he says there's no heaven or afterlife, well, who am I to contradict him? Well, of course, if I were the only one contradicting him, that wouldn't count for much. <laughs> but the thing is, I'm not the only one. There have been many, many, and there continue to be many, many really, really smart people, including many really smart scientists who do believe in the biblical view of the afterlife, of heaven, and so on. And it's not because they're afraid of the dark. And it's not because they're inclined to believe fairy tales. So you really can't settle this question, you know, by, by comparing IQ scores or comparing credentials, you know, how many letters you have after your name. Uh, this, this has to be settled some other way. I would like for you to look with me at... Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. It's on the sheet that's in your folder. It'll be up on the screen. 1 Thessalonians, it's, it's one of two letters the Apostle Paul wrote to a, to a group of believers in Jesus in a, in a city called Thessalonica. That's where the name comes from. And these two letters have a lot to say about the Christian view of the afterlife, of what, what comes after we die, what's coming in the future, and so on. And because these two letters say so much about it, we're going to be referring to them a lot uh, in this series. But I want you to look at verses 9 and 10 here of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul the Apostle says this to, to them. He says, you, you Thessalonians, you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Now, if you take what Paul says here and you set it Right next to the quote by Stephen Hawking, you will see that we have two radically different beliefs about the future, about the afterlife. According to Stephen Hawking, heaven is a fairy tale. 
according to Paul the Apostle, not only is heaven real, but Jesus, the Son of God, is going to come from there and save his followers from the wrath to come, whatever that means. So you have two completely opposing points of view. And here's the question. Can you have confidence in what Paul says? If you're a believer in Jesus, can you have confidence in what Paul says? Or have you foolishly believed a fairy tale? It's the issue of confidence that I'm wanting to hit today. Let's be honest. If you are a believer in Jesus today, if you walked into this place with faith in Jesus Christ, you almost certainly did not become a believer in Jesus by stacking up all the arguments for and against Christianity and weighing all that evidence and on the basis of that evidence, on the basis of all the arguments, making the decision that you should become a Christian. That's not how it happens for most people. Now, that's true for a few people. Uh, a guy like C.S. Lewis comes to mind. So there are a few who have done that, but not many. Instead, if you are like most Christians, there came a time when someone shared with you the good news about Jesus. Might have been your parent, might have been a friend, might have been Billy Graham on the TV, I don't know. But somebody shared the good news with you, the gospel, as the biblical writers present it, namely that the eternal Son of God became a man who then died on a cross to take upon himself God's justice for our sins, to take those, to take that judgment upon himself, to die, and then th three days later to rise from the dead. That's what we just celebrated on Easter. And just before he returned to heaven, he sent his followers into the world to tell everybody this good news, that if we will put our trust in him, if we will receive him into our lives, he will forgive us of all our sin. He will make us right with God. In fact, he will rescue us from the judgment we deserve, and he will bring us into a relationship with God that lasts forever. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And at some point, if you're a believer today, at some point you heard that message and you became convinced that you were separated from God because of your sin and that you rightly deserved God's judgment but instead, you decided that you wanted what only Jesus could do for you. And so you asked him. You, you put your trust in him. You asked him to forgive you, to bring you into God's family, and to be Lord of your life. 
Now, the details of your story probably differ from mine, but that's the common thread. That's the common thread. We heard the good news, we believed it, and we entered into a relationship with Christ. Now, examining the evidence for at least part of that, that may have been part of your experience. But for most of us, becoming convinced that Jesus is real, that he is worthy of our trust, worthy of our worship, worthy of our obedience, most of us would have a hard time explaining exactly how that happened. We're like Lydia in Acts chapter 16. It says when she was listening to the Apostle Paul proclaim the good news of Jesus, it says the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. The Lord opened her heart. You say, well, how did he do that? What did that involve? What kind of process was that? Well, we don't know. It's mysterious, and it's glorious. It's glorious. But for most of us, the Lord opening our heart was not the result of a rigorous intellectual debate. You know, we didn't sit there and say, okay, now presenting the four case, here it is, here's the against case, hmm, yeah, going with, going with Jesus. Well, then along come people like Stephen Hawking and Richard Dawkins, who inform us that we've been taken in by a load of nonsense. This is all bunk. God doesn't exist, they say. Jesus was just a guy. And eternal life, that's a fairy tale. That's a fairy tale. And and here's the thing. These well-educated people claim that they have solid, irrefutable scientific evidence to back up their claim. What does that do to your confidence level in the good news and what the Bible teaches about heaven, the afterlife, the future? How do you respond to that? What if you have children or grandchildren who are regularly being challenged by teachers and textbooks and nature programs on television and friends and articles on the internet that confidently tell them that science has disproven the Bible and that Christianity is a myth. It's just one of several, many religious myths in our world today because if you have kids or grandkids that is what they're hearing relentlessly they are hearing that or maybe you have a friend maybe you have a relative someone that you you want to share the good news of Jesus with you've tried maybe and yet they're just not inclined to listen because they know that all the smart people know, all the cool kids know, it's not true. So why would I waste my time listening to that? 
Let me tell you what my aim is this morning. My aim, I want to give you a couple of reasons why you, if you're a believer in Christ, why you can be confident in what the Bible teaches about the future, about the afterlife, or really about everything, but especially this because that's what our series is about. To help you be confident and to help you not be intimidated by those who deny it and even ridicule it. Now, will, will the information I give you, will that convince skeptics to change their mind? Will you be able to go out there and just you know, lay it down and they'll go, oh my goodness, I can't believe it. I've been wrong. Probably not. Probably not. But that's not my goal. Now, these reasons may help skeptics be a little less confident in their skepticism. But my goal is to help believers in Jesus be confident that there are not irrational fools for believing what the Bible teaches about the afterlife. To be confident to live with hope. To be confident to share the good news with boldness, knowing that it's that good news God uses to open people's hearts. As Paul says in Romans 1.16, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Or to turn that around, I am confident in the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. That is a message we need to share with confidence. And what I want to encourage you with this morning is you can be confident that you've not believed a fairy tale, but that message is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. That's my aim. So, why you can be confident in the biblical view of the afterlife of heaven, what it teaches us, okay? Reason number one, those who deny it cannot possibly know what they claim to know. Those who deny it can't possibly know, that's the key word, can't possibly know what they claim to know. Now, notice, clarification. I'm talking about people who deny the biblical view. Not talking about those who simply doubt it or question it, I'm talking about those who confidently profess to know that there is no afterlife and that heaven is a fairy tale. And that the reason they're so confident that they know this is because that science has demonstrated beyond a reasonable doubt. And what I'm saying is they can't possibly know that, no matter how smart or scientific they are. The question of whether or not heaven and the afterlife exists, cannot, can not be answered by science, even when practiced by the most brilliant scientists. And that is not a criticism of science. I'm not saying anything bad about science. Science is awesome. It's just simply recognizing that it's not the right tool for the job. It's not the right tool for the job. Now, the NBA playoffs just started, and let's just say, so where is he going with this? 
Let's say you wanted to watch the playoffs, and you were away somehow from television, from the internet. You couldn't stream it. You couldn't watch it on television, but you wanted to watch it. And you're someplace, and somebody hands you a pair of sophisticated, high-technology night vision goggles. And you say, well, I can't watch the playoffs with these. You're not criticizing the goggles. The goggles are amazing, okay? But you can't tune in to the NBA playoffs with them. It's not the right tool. The tool can't do that. And if someone else picked up those goggles, looked into them, and said, you know what? You can't see the NBA playoffs with these. Therefore, the NBA playoffs do not exist. They are not real. You would have good reason to be skeptical of that claim. Dude, you're not using the right tool. You can't say that playoffs don't exist based on looking with night vision goggles. Science is a tool. It's a wonderful tool. It relies on observation and experimentation. Observation. Well, we can see, if not directly, indirectly, uh, through our senses, through, you know, all the senses we have to, to see and sense the physical universe around us. Okay? Observation and experimentation. Well, here's the thing. If heaven exists, if the supernatural realm exists, they're not observable. They're not observable. And you cannot run an experiment to settle the question of heaven and the afterlife's existence. There's no experiment you can do that's going to settle that question. C.S. Lewis put it like this. Science studies nature. The question is whether anything besides nature exists. How could you find that out simply by studying nature? Well, you couldn't. That's the point. So, when people say, no, the material universe is all there is. That's it. Just matter and energy, molecules in motion. We've looked at the material universe, and that's all there is. And science proves it's all it is. They're either bluffing or they're misinformed. Because science can only tell us things about the material universe. It can't tell us whether anything besides the material universe or beyond the material universe exists, namely the supernatural. And it's not just Christians like C.S. Lewis who say this. Look at this quote from the U.S. National Academy of Sciences. Quote, Science is a way of knowing about the natural world. Science can say nothing about the supernatural. Whether God exists or not is a question about which science is neutral. It can't answer the question. It's the wrong tool for the job. So, Stephen Hawking, brilliant guy, brilliant scientist, but that did not qualify him to render a verdict and to be considered an expert on the question of the afterlife. When he said, there is no heaven, there is no afterlife, he was not stating a scientific conclusion. He was stating a personal belief, which, of course, he's entitled to. 
but he's not entitled to have the whole world label his belief as a scientific fact. When he said that, he wasn't doing science. He was doing philosophy or theology or some other thing. It wasn't science he was doing at that point. You know, we've got to understand that beliefs, you know, all the beliefs you carry around, beliefs are complicated. They are complex things. We believe the things we believe for all kinds of reasons. Intellectual reasons, yes, but also emotional reasons, that's a big one. Social reasons. Spiritual reasons, that's a very big one. And it would be so wonderful if everybody would realize this. It would be so great. It would bring so much humility to our conversations as when we talk about why we believe what we believe. That would be wonderful. But when someone denies that God exists, when they deny that there's a heaven, when they deny what the Bible teaches about the future, and then say that the only reason they believe that way, the only reason they deny those things is because science has settled the issue, they are blowing smoke. Science cannot possibly do that. So what's the takeaway? Well, if you're a believer in Jesus, the takeaway is this. Don't be intimidated. Don't be silenced. Don't be unsettled by those who claim to know what they can't know. Don't stop praying. Don't stop loving the Bible, reading the Bible, learning the Bible. Don't stop relying on Christ. Don't stop loving Him. Don't stop loving people. And don't stop sharing the good news with them, even if they're skeptical. Science has not rendered your faith foolish or irrational. It has done no such thing. I don't care how many people on the internet say it has. They're wrong. And they have more reasons for believing what they believe than they're willing to admit, usually. And if you're a skeptic here today, I just encourage you to realize, or I just encourage you to consider being a bit more skeptical of your skepticism. You need to realize you're not a non-believer. There really is no such thing as a non-believer, meaning you don't hold any beliefs, you only hold scientifically uh, derived reasons. No, everybody carries around beliefs, many of which are not provable. You've got a different set of beliefs. And science cannot prove your reasons to be correct. So, that's reason number one. Those who deny the biblical view of the afterlife cannot know what they claim to know. Here's the second reason. If you're a believer in Jesus, you can be confident in the biblical view of the afterlife because Jesus can know what he claims to know. Jesus can know. In other words, when we read what Jesus said about the afterlife, about the future, about heaven, 
we can be confident that he knows what he's talking about. And when his messengers, so someone like the Apostle Paul, talks about these things and says he got his information from Jesus, well, if he's telling the truth, then what he's saying has credibility. Why? Look again at verses 9 and 10 of Thessalonians chapter 1. First Thess. You turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. There it is. There's the reason. When Jesus speaks about life after death, he knows what he's talking about because he died and he came back to life. He knows what's on the other side of death because he's been there. Now, there are other reasons he knows that, but this is the bottom line reason that we can be confident confident in the Christian message. Okay, here's the point. The credibility of Jesus, the credibility of what Jesus taught about everything, but we're focusing on what he said about the afterlife. His credibility is not founded. It is not based on an idea. It's not based on a theory. It's not based on philosophical speculations. It is based on an event of history. His resurrection from the dead. The resurrection is the linchpin. It's critical. And this, by the way, if, if you're a believer in Jesus today, this is why it's important you understand the difference between your story, your testimony, and the gospel. They're not the same. Now, they're related. And many times, sharing your story can be very helpful to people, but just sharing your story is not sharing the gospel. They need to hear the gospel, the good news, the fact that Jesus is the Son of God, died on a cross and rose from the dead, and who alone can forgive sins. When the earliest followers of Jesus went around proclaiming the good news, they always, always included the resurrection. Look at, here's the end of one of Paul's sermons, Acts 17. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, that is, to turn from sin and turn to him, for he has set a day when he will judge the world, here's a view of the future, he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed, he has given proof of this to all by raising him from the dead. See that? Without Christ's resurrection, there's no good news. In fact, Paul the Apostle said so. 1 Corinthians 15, if Christ has not been raised, your faith, faith is futile, worthless, waste of time. Go on, get out of here. If Christ is not raised from the dead. Those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. We are exactly who Richard Dawkins and Stephen Hawking think we are. We're a bunch of fools if Christ is not risen from the dead. But if Jesus really rose from the dead, that validates everything he taught, everything he said about God, about himself, about us, about our sin, about our desperate need for him to rescue us through his death in our place, taking our judgment. 
Everything he said about the future, everything he said about his promise to return, his promise to make right every wrong when he returns, to give eternal joy to those who follow him, that all stands or falls with his resurrection. If it really happened, your confidence should be full. If it didn't happen, your guess is as good as mine. Now, obviously, those who deny the biblical view of things will also deny that Jesus rose from the dead. But frankly, the evidence is against them. And if you've never, at least I'm convinced it is, and if you've never looked at the evidence, a couple of good books you could look at, Lee Strobel's The Case for Christ, Tim Keller's The Reason for God. These books do an excellent job of laying out the historical evidence for Christ's resurrection. And if you'd like to talk about this, I would be delighted to talk to you about it. But again, my purpose today is not to prove the resurrection. It's not to prove, and I'm not trying to disprove atheism. Well, I've got a lot I would love to say about it. <laughs> My goal is to help you see that being confident in the biblical message, in the biblical view of the future, is not irrational, and it's not unscientific. It is thoroughly justified because the one who told us to believe it is the only one in the position to know. So be confident. Now, be confident, not arrogant. There really is no, listen carefully, there is no legitimate reason for ever being arrogant or demeaning or condescending to anyone no matter how much we disagree with them. And that's especially true if you're a believer in Christ, because the Bible is so clear with this. If you know Christ today, if you know Christ today, it's because God had mercy on you. It is entirely because of His grace, and it's not because you were smarter, or you were better, or you were more valuable than anybody else. It is simply that God had grace on you and opened your heart in response to his message. And when it comes to sharing the good news with others, even with skeptics who think you're an idiot, there's no room for arrogance. Look at 1 Peter 3.15. But in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness, and respect. Every person we encounter created in the image of God is entitled to our gentleness and our respect. So be confident, but be gentle and respectful. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for 
having mercy on me and anyone else in this room who knows you through Christ, who has responded to your good news. Father, give us both the humility and the boldness, the confidence to trust your good news and to share it in a world that desperately needs to hear it. Lord, help us not be intimidated and help us not be arrogant. Help us humbly share the good news. Help us equip our kids to be able to think these things through. Help us be able to help our friends. And Lord, I pray if there's anyone here who's a skeptic, that you might just help them consider your good news. Honestly, openly, consider the reasons they might have for not believing. And I pray that by your grace, you will draw them into your family. Uh, Thank you, Lord. Thank you for loving us enough to tell us the truth. We give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.